Would you turn with me, please, to John chapter 14? Let's read together the first six verses. John chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray. As we open your word, we do so with expectant hearts, and at the same time, some may be doing so with apathetic or numb hearts because of the trouble that they are facing in their life, and they may even begin to doubt your goodness and the truth of your words and the reality of your love because they see, on the one hand, a lack of certain things they desire or a denial of things that they had hoped for or expected and and it's it's made them become cynical of your promises in scripture and i pray god that you would overwhelm them today with truth about yourself and that your spirit would accompany this truth in such a way that it builds all of our faith especially those who are weak in it um, we know though lord that you are good in all your ways and let that ring true. Uh, let the Spirit glorify Christ today through his word. And may faith be strengthened and upheld. And may your love for us as your children, your, your people, be uh, proclaimed loudly. For we need to hear this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, maybe you've been making something in the kitchen and like coffee or toast, doing this at the same time, and then suddenly you hear a, a pop, and all the appliances that you're using suddenly go off. In that moment, you drew just a little bit too much power, and then those little switches that are in your kitchen, called the GFCI switch, tripped, and the power was shut off. And for a moment there, though, when that happens, you can be caught off guard, and you can wonder, well, Wait, why is my toast not toasting? Why did the coffee stop dripping? And then you look around like, why is the light blinking? Why is the time light blinking on the coffee pot or so forth? And then you realize what happened. The, the power has been interrupted. And in order to get the power back on, you have to, 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 have to do two simple things. You... You have to figure out the problem with the appliances, like, and that may be as simple as just unplugging it from one outlet and plugging it on another part of your kitchen that aren't on the same circuit. Um, and then the second thing you have to do is push that little button on that, on that outlet that resets the GFCI switch. And once you do the, those two things, you can get on to doing what you were doing. <clears throat> Trouble can be like that in our lives. We can be going along <clears throat> in our normal capacity. When God allows trouble then suddenly to enter into our lives. <clears throat> my, my voice is a little strained, so sorry. Hopefully you'll be able to hear just fine. The sudden demand for faith that trouble puts upon us can sometimes be a bit too much for us. And we quickly find ourselves overloaded and then disconnected from Christ. Christ, who is our source of strength, our source of power. And for a brief time, we can be bewildered. We can wonder, what has happened? And we find ourselves feeling fearful, anxious, disoriented about life and about God. 
Have you ever felt this way? If you have, it's because this is what trouble often does to us. It does this to even the most faith-filled Christians. It overwhelms us. And it often disconnects us from Christ, our source of strength and power. The despair and the fear that follows then, it's to be expected. Because you cannot disconnect yourself from the object of your faith and and still expect the power to overcome the temptation to despair. When trouble disconnects you from Christ, your heart will become troubled. So, Take comfort, Christian. Because that disconnection, just like the GFCI switch, it can be reset. Your faith can recover from trouble. Even though you don't feel connected to Christ, Christ has never abandoned you. He knows right where you are. He sees you floundering in the sea of trouble. And God has allowed the trouble for good purposes. And sometimes it takes a minute to remember this and to realize that God is just as faithful now as He was yesterday. Now, you're not happy with the situation, right? It's, it's scary. It's painful. It's destabilizing. It's upsetting, Right? God is still on the throne. His love for you has not wavered, not even the slightest bit. And so it's in these times you need to remember that when your heart is troubled, God's comfort is found by trusting in Christ. When your heart is troubled, God's comfort is found by trusting in Christ. Now how exactly will God comfort our hearts in times of trouble. Well, just as with these disciples, right? Because Jesus here in John 14 is speaking with His disciples. There's going to be many reasons in our lifetime where we will have legitimate cause to be troubled. It is not unchristian to be troubled. It is part of life in this world. This is what we looked at last week. Life in this world and trouble goes hand in hand because that is the way God has designed His world. So there are going to be many reasons in your lifetime why you're going to be troubled. So we must be realists about life's problems. At the same time, though, we must be realists about God and His promises. And this means then that that although there is cause to be troubled in our life, we have even greater cause not to be troubled. And this is an important conclusion that we need to all come to based on God's Word. Namely, that that regardless of what there may be to cause us to be troubled as Christians, there is more cause not to be troubled. What reason do we have not to be troubled? Jesus gives us three in our passage here in John 14. It's about what He's directed and about what He's disclosed and about what He has declared. See, when your heart is troubled, trusting in what Christ has directed, what He has disclosed, and what He has declared, that's what's going to keep you from despairing. Now make no mistake, Christian, the comfort of Christ, it is real. And it is readily available to each one of us in the midst of whatever trouble that we might be facing. Health problems, loneliness, loss of a job, debt, relational strife, persecution, threats, humiliation, consequences, you name it. The more that we trust Him and believe that these three reasons are indeed true of Christ and true for us, the greater will be our experience of comfort. So the first reason that Christ gives us not to be troubled has to do with what He has directed us to do here in verse 1. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. So when trouble comes, we first need to trust in what Christ has directed us to do. We need to trust in what Christ has directed us to do. What does He direct us to do? He says, believe in God and believe also in Me. That's what He told His disciples. That's what He's telling us. Look what He's doing. Jesus is immediately going to the source of our hope, the power source. And He says, He is an object worthy of our faith, of our trust. He says, the comfort that you desire will only be experienced through faith in my Father and in me. In the same way that you put your hope in God, Jesus is calling His disciples to put their hope in Him. Now, we're not mystics. Okay? It's, it is not your faith that will bring you comfort as if Faith is some magic solution to all our problems. See, that's the empty mantra of the world. Just believe. If you have enough faith that something will happen, the powers of the universe are somehow going to respect that amount of faith and make things go your way. Now that may make for a good line in a movie, but in reality it's nothing more than a sappy platitude. Faith by itself means nothing and does nothing. Faith by itself means nothing and does nothing. Faith by itself has no power to change anything. What matters is the object of your faith. Faith is only as strong as the object in which you are putting your faith. Jesus is worthy of your trust. And He calls you to trust Him to care for you, to provide for you, to protect you according to His wisdom and according to His purposes. And guess what? He doesn't have to tell us about either of those in any detail. Faith in God and comfort from God go hand in hand. Faith in God and comfort from God, they go hand in hand. And this is very important to understand. We should not expect comfort in the midst of our troubles if we are not going to trust God in our troubles. So let's be honest, honest about this. Most of us want comfort in the form of relief. I want the job... I want the relationship to be spared. I want the cancer to go into remission. See, that's the form of comfort that we want. We want release. And praise God, relief, and we praise God when relief does come. However, we must accept that God may have other goals for the trouble that He allows. The Bible is not a magic wand, right? That, that we can just wave around and put in front of our face. And these truths like wash over us and, and suddenly faith is born and things are better. You know, there is a miraculous day coming when things will be all better. Right? A miraculous day is coming when all the troubles of this life and the days of trouble that have come in this life will be gone forever. It's called heaven. But for now. Okay? It's hard to gain this perspective when you're young, isn't it? The older you get, the more you realize how true this is. There's trouble in this life. Heaven is where the trouble finally ends. But in this life, you will have trouble. And the God who loves us has a purpose for the trouble He allows. He's using it. But here's something we also need to understand. He takes His time with what He does. Beautiful crops don't grow just because 
you stick a seed in the ground, you turn around and there's a full bountiful crop. It takes time for a crop to grow. See, God's giving us all kinds of lessons when sometimes we just don't realize what their lessons are really for. Nobody expects a crop to grow just from minutes after putting the seed in the ground. Do you expect maturity and comfort to come just because you believe there's a God? It takes time to trust Him. God's desire is that we would trust Him. Not that our circumstances get better. You see the difference? God's desire is that you would trust Him, not that our circumstances are better. Faith grows when we continue to depend on Jesus over time. And not just that He's at our back and our call to change our circumstances for the better. That is not how faith grows. And so you need to accept that He may choose to withhold the relief that you want until you finally surrender yourself entirely to His care for you. And think about what makes childhood something that we often look back on longingly. Now I know there's always exceptions, right? But for the most part, children, they don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. They don't worry about where they're going to sleep at night. They don't worry whether or not there's enough money to take care of the bills. All those cares are borne by who? Mom and dad. Or just mom, or just dad. And that allows children to be children. Yeah, some children grow up quicker than others. We get that. God has a purpose for that too. But when children are afraid, who do they look to? They look to their mother. They look to their father to give them the comfort that they long for. And when we become adults and we start having a family, we, what do we do? We naturally take on these responsibilities, these cares, these burdens that our parents once handled. And that's when we sometimes wish that we could go back and we could somehow be a child again. When we didn't have to bear such burdens. Have you ever felt this way? Am I alone? Is this mic on? We need to remember at such times that we are still a child. A child of God. And we have a Heavenly Father in whom we can trust. Who is more than able to carry our burdens. Who is able to care for us and protect us and shelter us. And it's as if in growing up, we, we grow out of daily faith. Sure, we, we have a faith by which we are saved. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. It's just until that time that I'm having struggles, believing and trusting in God. But see, this is where God would have you know His comfort. You don't need comfort in heaven. You need comfort today. So what does that mean you need today? Daily faith. You can't know God's comfort if you won't trust His care for you in the trials and in the troubles that He allows in your life. We're also, you know what, we're not mystics. We're also not pragmatists. Where comfort is simply the product of faith. See, faith is not some formula for comfort, as if you can like plug it in like an electrical cord and God's power flows impersonally to you. Now, can you see that faith in Christ is very personal? You are not trusting in some sort of divine vending machine that dispenses comfort, machine, you know, dispenses comfort when you want it, in the way you want it. You know, mm, what, what kind of comfort do I want today? That is not God. You are trusting in a person. But not just any person. You are trusting in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whose love for you, we are told by Paul, it surpasses your knowledge, your understanding. As a man, he knows what it means to be troubled. And He promises that if you trust Him 
as being able to help you and provide for you and sustain you, He personally, through His Spirit indwelling you, can give you a comfort and a peace that surpasses our ability to comprehend. And those around you will say and they will think to themselves, I don't get it how He keeps going. And you yourself will likely say, I don't get it. How can I have joy right now? How come I'm not paralyzed by fear or doubt or worry or despair right now? I'll tell you how. It's because you have believed that Jesus is more than able to accomplish what concerns you and to make you strong even though you are weak and to give you peace even in the midst of the storm. And when that happens, and it can take a while, We're not just instantly there. When that happens, when you surrender yourself to Him and you completely trust that He is who Scripture says He is, that is the moment when you have truly cast all your cares upon Christ and He has put His yoke upon you, which is light and easy so that He may guide you and direct you in the way that you should go. So the first thing that Jesus directs His disciples to do here, right? This is what you're trusting in, what He directs to do. What's the first thing that He directs us to do? He says, believe in God. How simple. <laughs> You'd almost want to slap someone when they, if they were to come up to you in the midst of your trouble and say, man, you need to believe in God. Get out of here. But do you see what He's saying? He's not saying believe in God for salvation. I don't think you're trusting in God right now. And you need to believe in God. And Jesus goes right to that. He says, believe in God. Trust in Him. This is what God has been telling the people of Israel to do ever since He called them out from among the nations and He revealed Himself uniquely to them. Israel as a nation responded to this revelation by believing in and worshiping God, albeit never perfectly. And the faith that God desired of His people can be summed up in what Moses said in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. The most significant example of Old Testament faith in God is seen in David. This is what he said in Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. See, when David faced trouble, as he often did when he was running from Saul, This man, after God's own heart, he confidently declared, he said, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. How simple is that? And this was true of King Hezekiah. In 2 Kings 18.5, it was said of him, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him of all the kings of Judah. Psalm 9, verse 10 sums up what's the most significant characteristic of the person who is truly one of God's people. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. Four, right? Why? Why will they put their trust in you? For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. One of the important ways that God reveals Himself to His people is as a God in whom you can put your trust. God wants you to understand with all your heart, with all your mind, with all of your soul, that He is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He is compassionate. And He is worthy of your trust. Here's how Paul summed up Abraham's faith in God. The Old Testament faith of Abraham, Paul in the New Testament summed it up by saying he was fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. Simple. Biblical faith is as profound as it is simple. When you see it in action, you're like, man, what are you doing? Believing God. Believing what he said to be true right now in the midst of everything going on. That's all I'm doing. See, if God promises it, you believe he'll bring it to pass. 
and you camp out there. Now don't miss that that Jesus directs his disciples to believe in God. He says, believe also in me. Now with the exception of a select few, many in Israel believed in God, even though they never saw him. The author of Hebrews, he highlights for us the faith of Moses who obeyed and followed God as if he could fall and see him, even though he didn't see him. It says of Moses in Hebrews 11:27, he endured as seeing him who is unseen. That's exactly the same kind of faith that Jesus is calling his disciples to emulate here. He's not calling them to believe in him in the saving sense. He's calling them to live with a daily, ongoing trust in Him. They were Jews who believed themselves to be the special people of the one true God, Jehovah. And as they had learned to put their trust in God, Jesus says they also need to believe in Him too. They did believe in Him, right? But even though, even now that faith was wavering, and very shortly that shaky belief, it was going to be even more challenged by his betrayal, his arrest, trial, crucifixion, and then death. Christ did not need to be visibly present for them to receive comfort and strength from him any more than God did in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus commends those who have not seen him and yet believe in him. And it's in this chapter that Jesus introduces the ministry of the Holy Spirit that He will have from the, from the time of Pentecost when He's poured out upon all mankind on down through the ages until Christ returns. That means today, right now. What is that ministry? Making known to believers the presence of Christ. He says in, in the next chapter 15, verse 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. In other words, the Spirit's ministry, it's going to be this ongoing, internal witness to us that our faith has been reliably placed in Christ. And through the Spirit's ministry, we will know the comforting and the powerful presence of Christ. Now, understandably, the disciples feared losing the comfort of His physical presence. And Jesus will tell them in in chapter 16, verse 7, that it was to their advantage that He goes away because then the Father would send to each one of them as well as to every believer in Christ down through time the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And He is going to indwell us permanently. He's going to mediate the spiritual presence of Christ. And better than being able to see Christ Physically, better than simply being near to Jesus, we can know the presence and the power of Christ from within. You can always walk away from somebody physically. You can't walk away from the Spirit of God who is within you. The Puritan theologian, Pastor John Owen, he spoke of what it meant to have this sense of His loving presence. And this is what he said, quote, It is sufficient to rebuke all anxiety and fears. And not only so, but to give in the midst of them solid consolation and joy. So Christian, you can take comfort in knowing that your faith in Christ is reliably placed. One of the basic principles of the Christian life is that we walk by faith and not by sight. And therefore, to know your faith is placed in a solid, reliable object, it is absolutely essential to your life. The day of trouble is the time when your faith is tested. Imagine being the first in line, let's say, to drive across a new bridge. And just before you start driving across in your car, you you see a bridge official standing nearby, and you say, so, hey, what type of testing has gone into this bridge? And he looks at you and he says, well... A number of of us have have walked across it, but actually, you're going to be the first car to drive across the bridge. You know, if if that were me, I'd I'd turn the car around. I prefer to drive on a bridge that has been well tested. 
Many cars having driven over that bridge. Put a few trucks on there. Drive a train across. I want a bridge that's going to endure. The same is true for our faith. Hey, listen. The same is true for our faith. Without testing, and we're talking about testing of all sorts, how will you ever know that your faith in Christ is reliable? How will ever you ever know that your faith in Christ is real? It's through the various trials and the troubles that God's going to allow in your life. James says Christ is going to build in us a faith that is growing stronger and more durable. And hey, guess what? That's why you can have joy when various trials come your way. It's going to produce in you something that endures. Faith. See, that is the big picture. That is the end goal. And so we should expect that that frequently along the way our faith is going to waver and we will find ourselves momentarily questioning the wisdom of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. And we're going to be like David in what he said in Psalm 31. As for me, I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from before your eyes. Do you see me, God? And that's often our initial reaction to adversity and affliction. We feel cut off from God's presence, from His love, from His tender care. Trouble temporarily obscures our heart's sense of the indwelling presence of Christ. And we can even get to the place where we wonder, have you forsaken me, God? Do you even know me, God? We say, no, God. You think I can handle this, but I can't. And besides, you never asked if I even wanted this. I don't want this. I want my old life back. Can't you see that my faith isn't ready for this? But we must also learn to say with David in Psalm 31, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. See, God cannot forsake us because we are His children. We cannot be cut off from His sight. He cannot cease to love us. And that being said, we can be cut off from the assurance of His love when, we're a, when we allow doubt and unbelief to gain a foothold in our hearts, obscure our sense of His presence in our lives. It's not that we've been cut off from God. We've just been cut off from the assurance that He gives us because we doubt Him. We doubt His Word. He tells us what He'll do and we're like, well, maybe. And suddenly we're like, "Hmm, have you forgotten me, God? I would wonder that too when I deny that His promises are true for me. See, when we wonder in the midst of adversity if God has forsaken us, as Israel did, God's response to His people's doubts is very forceful. Okay, Listen to this. If, you have, if you're struggling right now to trust God in the day of trouble that He's allowed for you, listen to what God told His people when they did this. This is what He said to them in Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget but I will not forget you. Okay, evaluate that incredible statement. Is there any tighter a human bond than that which exists between a nursing mother and her child? Now as we know, sin and selfishness can even cause that bond to be forsaken. That's what God is pointing out here. In other words, even the greatest of human love can sometimes fail. But God's love cannot fail. Can there be any stronger expression of God's love for His people in the Old Testament than this? Your mother may forget you and forsake you, but I never will. In the book of Lamentations, Israel's response to its destruction by the Babylonian army is is summed up by the prophet Jeremiah. 
Okay, we've got to remember what this means. When we talk about the destruction of Israel by the Babylonian army, we're talking about homes destroyed, loved ones killed, families uprooted from their homeland, the place they've known all their lives. We're talking about children being taken away from their parents. So if anyone has grounds for thinking that they were cut off from God, it was Israel. And then, they knew why too. Because they had been idolatrous. So there's reason. And Jeremiah seems to personally feel the apparent alienation from God on behalf of the nation. And perhaps you felt this way in the midst of trials. Jeremiah says in, in Lamentations 3, he says, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood, the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and it's bowed down within me. See, emotionally and spiritually, Jeremiah has reached the bottom. But then his mood suddenly changes completely in verse 21. He says, This I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. What is it? What would cause hope in the midst of, of all of this horrible things going on? And then follows one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture. A passage that will always be there to remind us about the One in whom we are trusting. What did Jeremiah call to mind that brought him comfort in the midst of the devastation? This wasn't post-devastation. This was current. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. Indeed, for His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, there are, there are many legitimate circumstances in which we may have a troubled heart. And it may be grief over our sin. It may be grief over a loss. It, it, it may be other kinds of heartaches. But what our God wants us to know is that in all of them, His love for us never ceases. Ever. By faith, we need to do as Jeremiah did. We need to turn from our circumstances in which the trouble is, and we need to turn to the Lord. We must see our circumstances through God's love instead of, as we are often prone to do, attempt to see God's love through our circumstances. Did you catch that? If you are in trouble right now, if you think you're going to be in trouble, you need to write this down. You need to see, you, need, you have to see our, your circumstances through God's love instead of, as you are often prone to do, attempt to see God's love through your circumstances. And we do this how? By reminding ourselves of what He has told us in His Word, of His love, His compassion, His faithfulness. Visited Bill last night in the hospital. You know, not that I think I'm all that. I go there. I want to visit him. I want to encourage him if I can. And of course, I come away blessed. We're talking about Bill Hunter here, aka Lazarus, raised from the dead, practically, and now just spilling forth with gratitude and for God. <clears throat> he said something very simple, but he said it, but it was also very profound. He said, "Nick, it's been so good to lay in my bed." and meditate on God's Word. It's been so good to lay in his bed in the hospital and meditate on God's Word. How often do you do that? Now, I'm with you. Sometimes I'm like flipping through the, the flashcards of God's Word and like, come on, comfort, bring it on. Where's the comfort? I'm reading the verses. And he says, I have just laid here and I have meditated on God's Word. Friends, meditating on God's Word, especially in the midst of your troubles, that is the field, the fertile field and soil where, where your faith in Christ's commitment to you grows and God's sustaining comfort is known. By faith we let the words that are spoken thousands of years ago become His words to us today. 
It is living. It is active. And if you're expecting trouble, I mean, comfort to come apart from that, you're fooling yourself. Now, that doesn't mean on the other end where we're trying to dispense comfort that we get out our guns, our scripture guns, and start shooting off a bunch of verses at each other. Sometimes we need to just sit and listen. We do. We don't need to think that we're God's answer to their troubles. You're not. God is. But we need to listen. We need to hear. We need to, understand. We need to say, you know what, man, if I were in your shoes, I would be miserable too. What do you think God wants you to do in the midst of this? He probably wants me to trust him. I think you're right. Let's just remind ourselves of what he said to us. Now you can give God's word. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to take the words of Christ and minister to the, your heart. He, he wants to graciously impart to us the strength and the comfort and the peace that we are actually longing for. Why? Why does the Spirit of God want to do this? Because your trust in Christ displays the worth and the beauty of Christ. And the Spirit of God loves to bless those who glorify Christ in this way. See, your faith in Jesus, Christian, it is reliably placed. There is no one else that you can trust in who will, who will never forsake you, who will never leave you. Even as you go through the valley of the shadow of death, as we all will someday, He will be with you through it. So take comfort in knowing that your faith in Christ is reliably placed. Trust in what Christ has directed you to do. You need to believe in God and you need to believe also in me. Now the second reason, which <clears throat> I'm going to try to sum up. Um, the second reason that Jesus has given us not to be troubled is because of what he's disclosed. Okay? First, what he's what he has directed us to do is to believe in God, believe also in him, and then he has disclosed something. And if we'll trust in this, we'll find comfort in the day of trouble. Look at verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So when trouble comes, we first need to trust in what Christ has directed. Believe in God, believe also in Him. And then second, we need to trust in what Christ has disclosed. Trust in what Christ has disclosed. And He's disclosed here two very significant things that can have a profound impact upon you in the midst of trouble. That first of all, you have a secure place in Christ, with Christ. You have a secure place with Christ. And secondly, you have a solemn pledge from Christ. <clears throat> the first disclosure Christ wants you to trust in is that you have a secure place with Christ. Christ knows what we need to hear about. And this is, there's probably no greater fear amongst men than the fear of death. Because we know so little about death, it's easy that we become fearful about it. And many people try to grasp onto life because they don't know what's on the other side of it. And, and it's understandable that we would feel this way. Death is like this vast, fixed chasm that it's dark and it's still and it's silent. And even those who have the assurance that their faith is well placed in Christ, their souls draw back from death. We all do this naturally. You may have entrusted, trusted in Christ all your life, walked with Him faithfully through every season of life, but there is still a mysterious door that you have not yet ever passed through. So there is an instinctive fear of the grave and the thought of death itself. But there is a comfort for us here. Especially when you hear the words, my father's house. You know, in this world, our homes have become, are, are, they're our place of refuge. It's where, it's where most of us first understand, understood feelings of security and acceptance. Our homes are where we're free to be ourselves, where we are loved, where we have enjoyed good times, we find fellowship and warmth. 
Our homes are, are where we have stored up countless precious memories. And many people who are facing death, where do they want to be? I don't want to be in a cold, sterile hospital. Just take me home. I want to be in my home. I'll await death there. See, our, our home is our place in this vast and often harsh world. We make it to suit our needs, to fulfill our desires. How comforting it is to know that heaven is going to be just like that. It's going to be a home for us in the truest and the fullest sense. Have you ever prepared a room, let's say, for a son or a daughter who's been away and they're coming home and they're coming to stay for a while? What do you do? You, you paint the room with their favorite covers, you, colors. You put things out that make them feel happy or relaxed or content. We take great care in this kind of preparation. See, heaven is not going to be some strange, unfamiliar, otherworldly place where we feel unsettled and out of place. It's... If it were that way, Jesus says, I would tell you if it's weird or unfamiliar. He tells us instead that He's going to prepare our place in His Father's house. And He knows what's going to make you feel comfortable. What's going to make you feel at peace. We, we instinctively feel at home there. And when Paul was caught up there, you know, it's really interesting. He was caught up. He says in the third heavens, we don't know what he's talking about. He really, he said, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. It was tangible because he says he might have been in the body, yet it was other dimensional and spiritual so much so that he says, hey, I may have been apart from the body. So whatever was true, we don't know. We know this though. It was not frightening. It was not unfamiliar. Rather, it was so wonderfully attractive and satisfying and thrilling that for the rest of Paul's life, he had a desire to depart and be with Christ. He said that's very much better. And maybe this gives us more perspective on what Paul, why he said that. Because it's a home. There's many references to the death of the Christian in the Scriptures. When Paul spoke of death as being better, he was speaking of it in terms of like the sailing of a ship. He says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. And this word for depart is a nautical term. A.T. Robertson translates it as to weigh anchor and put out to sea. Right, The time to depart and to head to your awaited destination has come. And thanks to Christ, Paul was ready to embark on this journey that would take him from this temporary earthly home to his permanent heavenly home, the home that Christ had prepared for him. So Paul's confidence and his hope, it wasn't rooted in himself, it was rooted in Christ. And we too, we can have the same hope as we flee to Christ to lay hold of the hope that He's set before us. He says in, in, the, in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, this hope we have is an anchor for the soul. It's a hope that's both sure and steadfast, one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. So we can't cast this anchor within ourselves and expect to find the hope that we desire. Security isn't going to be found in feelings or experiences. Our anchor is fastened to Christ who's in heaven. There's an illustration Philip Morrow brings forward. He says, it's like the picture of what was called the forerunner in ancient times. He helped the vessel to enter the harbor. He would have the rope in his hand attached to the ship. He'd jump off the ship and he'd wade through the harbor and he'd attach it to a rock where a winch was and then they would reel the ship in safely into the harbor. And that's what Jesus has done. He's our forerunner. He's gone to heaven. We're linked to Him and He is reeling us safely in. One notch closer with each day that passes. Click. 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 He's bringing us home. In his wonderful book, One Minute After You Die, Erwin Lutzer, he relates a story about a sea captain who was, at, who was visiting a dying man in a hospital. He was another captain. And when he reached his room, there were all these nautical flags decorating his room. And as they talk, they learned that they had once served on the same ship together earlier on in life. And, and so the captain's looking around and says, well, what do all these flags mean? And the dying man, he said, have you forgotten the symbols? He says, these flags mean that the ship is ready to sail, just awaiting orders. That's what we must be doing. Our flags need to be flying. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour of our departure. 
And some are given more notice than others. But all must go when the captain gives the command to raise the anchor. And thankfully, we can be ready to embark on, on this voyage because of Christ. He's going to lead us safely into the harbor. Christ wants you to know that so you, that you have a secure place with him. And he's made this, secondly, solemn pledge to you. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And, I, and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And he wants, us, when he, he wants us to comfort each other with these words. That's what Paul tells us in Thessalonians when he talks about the rapture. He says, comfort one another. Christ is coming for you. So Christian, take comfort in knowing that your future is fully prepared. You don't need to know when. You don't need to know how. It's enough to know that the one who loves you and came to seek and to save you at grace, great personal cost, he He's proving His love for you still by preparing your home and promising His presence to you in one of the most mysterious and unsettling moments of your life that you will ever face. Now, I heard a man, let me conclude with this, I heard a man, he had a young daughter who had to go through an uncomfortable medical procedure in a hospital and she was afraid and she was resisting the doctors. And he asked them, hold on just a second, let me talk to my daughter. And he asked the doctors to wait for a moment. You know, he said, he said, sweetie, do you know that I love you? And she's like, yes, daddy. Do you trust daddy? Yes. Then know that even though this will be uncomfortable, it's necessary. And you can trust your daddy who loves you and I will be right here with you through it. Okay, Daddy. And then she was able to let the doctors do what they needed to do. See, the Lord is our shepherd. And we have nothing to fear in this life. He has led us. Think about all the green pastures He's led you to, where there were quiet waters to lay you down beside. And in those places, He graciously restored your soul. He's guided us in this life along paths of righteousness. And when the time comes for us to walk through the valley where, where death is so close to us that its shadow is cast, we don't need to be afraid. Why? Because the one who loves us and in whom we have trusted all of our lives is going to be right there with us, assuring us, protecting us, comforting us as he always has. He's leading us to our new home. And there we're going to be with him forever. He's never failed you. He's never forsaken you. And He's not about to start at the time when you need Him most. He wants you to know these things about your future so that you will work today at trusting Him. Trust Him in the present so when the day of trouble comes, you'll trust Him then. And He is worthy of your trust. So when your heart is troubled, where is God's comfort going to be found? It's going to be found in trusting Christ. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, these are all your words and applications that flow from your words. And I pray that they have strengthened my faith in you as well as my brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> and I pray as well that if there are any here who have not yet felt the comforting presence of Christ in their life because they're separate from him by their sins, that you and your kindness would use this moment to show them that they can turn to you in faith. That the burden of their sin can be cast upon Jesus. It's not earned. We're never worthy of it. But it is offered freely. May they turn to you and believe on Christ and be saved and know the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives who ministers to us Christ daily. And we ask all this in your Son's name. Amen.